Thank you, Brother Tony and Praise Band. Thank you all for leading us in worship today. And isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? It's a new year. Good new year to get started off with and begin. And it's uh, just a great day to be in the house of God, worshiping with other people. Well, I tell you, I've got a little uh, something I want to share with you this morning. I've been planning on a series of sermons on Sunday nights uh, dealing with Old Testament families and their struggles. But last night, the Lord had me bump that up to this morning. So that outline you've got, that's good, isn't it? You're not going to use it this morning. You won't need it this morning. Now, you can bring it back tonight and we'll go go through it tonight. Every now and then the Lord does these kinds of things. I tell you, we, uh, we preachers, it's, it's interesting, or at least my style of preaching is interesting to me. Some preachers, they lay out their sermons a year in advance and don't waver from it. I can't hardly get one up a day in advance or two days. Printing these outlines for you really has been pressing me to the max because I've got to get, get all of that done ahead of time. But anyway, uh, this, this has just been heavy upon my heart uh, as, as we deal with our struggles in life. No matter how much we smiled and celebrated and blew horns and did everything else we did a few days ago when the new year arrived, many of us were thinking in our hearts, I wonder if this year will be any different than last year, because I sure struggled a lot then. I'd like to break free and have some victory in my life. Well, you know, God in His Word gives us a lot of guidance on struggles. And one of the things that I found in Scripture is that God is truthful. The Bible is not filled with people whose lives were easy, whose lives did not have problems. But the Bible is filled with people who struggled tremendously through life. But here's the key. Many of them found God and He helped them during their times of struggles. And He gave them strength, the strength that they needed. I heard about a uh, state trooper that came upon a car accident out on the roadway. It was out in an area where there were no houses, no other people, no other car involved. And he was trying to evaluate, wow, how did this happen? These dead bodies laying around. But he found there was a chimpanzee over on the side. And he looked at that chimpanzee and he said, this is the only form of communication I've got. He said, do you know anything about what happened here? Chimpanzee went like that. He said, uh, were you in the car? Yes. Didn't say yes, of course. <laughs> Shook his head a little bit and he said, Well, those two children laying over there that are deceased, what were they doing? That's why the chimpanzee did it. Fighting? 
says, what about that lady that's laying over there deceased? What was she doing? <laughs> Talking. <laughs> he says, what about that, that man? What was he doing? Oh, they said, I see, drinking. Well, what were you doing? <laughs> he was driving the car, wasn't he? You know, we struggle with many, many things in life, don't we? We struggle with things like addictions, like habits, difficulties that we go through, difficulties that we experience in life. I may be standing before you today wearing a coat and a tie and a suit, but I will tell you this, I had a very difficult childhood growing up. By the time I was eight year, years old, I'd smoked my first cigarette that a friend of mine had stolen the pack from my brother-in-law's store. And we began to make that a real habit. That was a lot of fun for him to go in and steal. And then we would go off down and hide by the creek bank and smoke. Took my first chew of tobacco at the age of nine days work. Boy, I got as sick as a dog. My brother got us into, got us into, got us into that one. By the time I was nine years old, I was huffing gasoline at any lawnmower that I could find where I could get the lid off of it to the point of nearly passing out every single time. I grew up in a home that was very strict, a strict Baptist home, very legalistic home. I never missed church. I was on the front row every Sunday. I was in the youth group. I was in the children's classes. I was that kid you teach in Sunday school, folks. You would have never known anything was going on in my life. I was abused sexually as a child by the time I was 10 years old, 11 years old. Not by any of my family, but others, older kids. And so there were a lot of troubles that went on in my life that I was able to mask, that I was able to keep hidden. Those things definitely took a toll upon my life as an individual growing up. Now, we will, I'll just stop it right there. I'm not going to go any further in telling you my testimony, but I will say this to you. At the age of seven, I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but it was at the age of 17 that I surrendered my life totally and completely to Jesus Christ. And He began a change in my life that is still going on to this day. Toward the end of this sermon, I will share a passage of Scripture with you that I believe is literally the key and the key instrument of how God worked change in my life to get me to the point that I can be your pastor today. Those of you now that want me to, I may disqualify myself in the last few minutes, but who knows. But anyway, God is a great God. I, what I'm saying to you this morning is this, friend. If you do not have struggles in your life, you're welcome to get up and leave and go back home. But I guarantee you that nobody is here without struggles. We all face them. We all deal with those struggles in our life. We're great at masking them, aren't we? We're great 
at hiding them from people. We're great at not being vulnerable to others so that they really see. So as we begin this series, I don't know, we may do it all on Sunday mornings. I know today's is looking at Old Testament families who struggled and had great struggles. The first one, I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter number 3. You sat there and wonder, how did we get from the outline that was back on the desk to this and we're still in 1 John? Well, because all of this was sort of tying in together. I'm just reversing the order, I guess you might say this morning. 1 John chapter number 3 verses 10 through 12. I want you to stand, please, with your Bible in hand. And I want you to notice something powerful in this passage of Scripture that we're going to learn. Now, it's going to be sort of ugly as we begin, but it's going to get better as we go along. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. They're revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now notice specifically verse number 12. Now as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Father, I pray that you'll just help us understand this passage of Scripture today. I pray, O Lord, that we'll just become vulnerable, vulnerable before you with our struggles and invite you into our life and circumstances that you might help us. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated, please. The Scripture there is introducing us to the first family and introducing us to the first uh, real bad problem in society, and that was murder. Who would have ever thought that the first family that God ever created, Adam and Eve, would immediately begin their journey in life with one son killing another? So all of a sudden in the Bible, we just got out of the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, and by the time in Genesis we get to chapter 3, we see sin that has entered the world. And by the time we get to chapter 4, the ink is not even dry in saying God created the heavens and the earth and put man on the earth. And before the ink is dry on the page, we realize Cain has already killed his brother Abel. Talk about family struggles. Do you know, as I read this and as I look into this story, and I believe really the reason maybe that God wanted me to switch up and preach this this morning is because of the first statement in chapter 4. I want you to look at it in your Bible for a moment because it, it brought me to my knees. Now Adam knew his wife. That word know there means they did what you need to do to have children. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said. Notice what Eve said. I have acquired a man 
from the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. When I read that this week, it's almost like God just brought me to my knees and said, Joel, it wasn't Eve's fault that Cain killed Abel. And I began to think about that. I began to think about how, as a parent, I wish I had a redo in golf. They call it a mulligan. I wish I could do it over again. There's a lot of things about parenting I'd like to change. There's a lot of things I know that my mom and dad would, would have liked to have changed in their parenting. I love my parents. They love me. I, I was raised in a loving home, although many times it was dysfunctional. That seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. That's just the way life is. My dad corrected you the old-fashioned way. You can't correct today the way my dad corrected me, or the police will be down at your house pulling you and taking you off to jail, my friend. But that's what he knew. That's all he knew. But it had an impact upon my life. I don't deny that in a, in a bad way. Now, it had a good impact, too. I was scared to death of my daddy. I was afraid, boy, if he finds out, man, if, if he finds out the bad stuff I've did, and my punishment for it is worse than the punishment for the little stuff I've done, oh, I hope he never finds out. It wasn't his fault what I did in my life. It wasn't your fault what your kids did in your life. And to those parents who are currently raising perfect children, you hear those chuckles from the older folk in the room? <laughs> they were there where you're at one time. I was raising perfect children. It's not going to be your fault. Because here's the key, my friend. Our choices matter. And when I read Scripture and I read through the Bible, here's what I find. We don't stand before God as a family. We stand before God as an individual. And the Bible makes it clear that every single one of us will stand before the Lord individually and give an account for our life. You say, how do you know that, Joel? Well, I know that because that's what the Bible says. Let me read this verse of Scripture to you for a moment. And it's found in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10. By the way, if you want to jot that down, or if, you, if you're quick and fast, you can turn over there and read it. But notice it for a moment. The Scripture says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, now notice the next phrase. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know what God is saying to me in that verse? That verse is written to Christians. We're the ones that will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here's what God is saying. He's saying, Joel, all of those things you did as a child, you're going to stand before me someday about all of that. And those things you've done as a teenager, those things you've done as a young father, those things you've done as an adult, you're going to stand before me. And Joel, you're going to stand before me all alone. 
all by yourself. You're going to stand before me. You're not coming as a group before God. Because we're going to stand before God individually. Now, now follow me, friend. I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you right now. I'm trying to help us for a moment. I know today that I'm going to stand before Jesus individually by myself and give an account to Him for what I've done in my life. Now then, here's the great, the good part. I'm going to be showered and clothed in the grace of God. I'm going to be there receiving the mercy of God. I'm not standing there based on the need for salvation. I've already been saved. But I'm going to stand before the Lord and He's going to examine my life. Now here's the good part, friend. Uh, grace, the blood of Jesus, Forgiveness. All of those words we use in the church, they're going to come into play on that day. Because I tell you, I'm anticipating what Jesus is going to say when I stand before Him. I think He's going to say something like, Aren't you glad I forgave you of this? Aren't you glad I redeemed you from that? Aren't you glad I changed your mind about that? Aren't you glad this? Aren't you glad that? And then I'm going to say, Yes, sir, Jesus Christ I am. I bow before you. And He will say to me then, Now enter into the joy of the Lord. You have been a good and faithful servant. You say, Preacher, that stuff doesn't make sense what you're talking about. My friend, that's what grace is all about, isn't it? That's what, when God forgives us of a sin, he doesn't, he doesn't bring it back up. When God forgives you of a sin in your life, He doesn't bring it back up tomorrow, next week, next month. That's, that's the devil that brings all that back up and, and guilts you over it. When God forgives you, it's gone. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. You're cleansed of it, and you can go on in Jesus. Now, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to show you a verse. Now, just hang on, okay? I'm going to show you a verse that I believe is the key in all this. But let's come back to uh, Adam and Eve for a moment. It's, Eve said, I, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Isn't that the way you felt when you had your children? That's the way I felt when I had mine. I had my kids, I said, wow, I've got a daughter from the Lord. I've got a son from the Lord. I am so thankful. I am so glad. And God has given me all of these perfect children, and then the devil got a hold of them. <laughs> he just seems to do that, doesn't he? He got a hold of that. My friend, we realize the devil is at work in this world. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but we wrestle against principalities and powers in spiritual wickedness in high places. As long as you and I are living upon this earth, as long as we're having families, as long as there are people all around us, we are going to encounter the enemy hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, always. We're going to encounter him. And the temptation is going to come. And the temptation came against Adam and Eve and their children as they begin to struggle. Now notice verse number 2 in our text for a moment. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the, gra- uh, of the dry land. Don't you know that if God had given Eve a choice, had she known the future, And God said to her, 
I'm going to give you two boys, but one of them is going to kill the other one. She'd probably said, well, don't give me anybody. I don't want to even have kids. I don't want to go through what I'm going to have to go through. But folks, do I need to remind us today that our God is a sovereign God? He knows what's in our future. He knows everything you're going to face in your life, in your family, all of us. God wants us to trust Him as we depend upon Him. So now here's Adam and Eve. They have two children. They have Cain and they have Abel. Now I want you to notice the progression that starts happening in this passage of Scripture. Both of these men have two different occupations. The Bible tells us that Abel is a shepherd. He tends the sheep. It tells us that Cain is a tiller of the, gra- of the ground. He's a farmer. He, he's, uh, you know, got fruit trees and all of this farming that he does, this gardening that he does. Two different boys. But notice verse number three. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock of the fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now let's just stop there and park there just for a moment. And let's sort of see and analyze what's going on in this scripture. One son, God accepts his offering. The second, God rejects his offering. Now you may look at that and you say, well, what kind of God would do that? I will tell you the kind of God that would do it. A holy God, a righteous God, a loving God. A God who is our heavenly Father. God knew the heart of these men. He knew that Abel's heart was right, and Cain's heart was not right. As you and I look at this passage of Scripture, there are some words here that really we need to delve delve into for a moment. Notice it says that, that that they came and brought this offering in the process of time. Now that says to me that they had a concept of the Sabbath rest where God rested on the seventh day and declared that the day of rest and the day of worship that he later instructs Moses about in the Ten Commandments. So evidently these guys knew that God has a day of worship, a day of rest. And on that day of rest, you come before him and you bring an offering. Notice that word brought that we see in that passage of Scripture. It says in verse 4, Abel brought an offering. Cain brought an offering. That seems to, to say that God had a designated place. If they're going to bring an offering, how do they bring it? How do they get it to God? So God has designated a day, probably the Sabbath, a day of rest. He has designated a place. They bring that offering and they're going to give that offering to the Lord. And 
give it to him. And I also believe because of this scripture that God had designated exactly what the offering should be like, what it should be. You say, why, why do you think that? Well, here's why I think it. Why else would a holy God accept an animal sacrifice and the fat thereof that it speaks of, but reject a vegetable or a fruit sacrifice. Do you know when we read through the Old Testament, we see a pattern develop in the Old Testament that I believe started right here in the book of Genesis? Do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves from God and they covered themselves with fig leaves? And God came to them in the cool of the day and what did God do? God immediately confronted them upon their self-clothing and their nakedness. And he said, why did you try to cover your nakedness? Have you sinned? Before you put on those fig leaves, when you were totally naked, I came to the garden and I walked with you every day. But after you sinned and your conscience now knows what sin is, now then you're ashamed and you cover yourself with these fig leaves. And God said, I know what this is all about. Now you have sinned and you know what sin is, what right and wrong is. Somebody said Genesis 3, we see the root of sin but in Genesis 4, where we are, we see the fruit of sin, a murder. God rejected Adam and Eve's fig leaves and he said, look, I'm going to be, I'll provide clothing for you. And the scripture says that God killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve with the skin of that animal. That tells me that God has designated something big for this family. You cannot approach me by what you provide for yourself. Adam and Eve, I do not accept those fig leaves. You can't come before me providing your own covering. I will cover you with my blood atonement through Christ. And I think that carries over to Cain. Cain, you cannot approach me and come before me with the best of the fruits you can grow. You can only come before me like your brother did, like Abel did. You can only come before me with a blood offering that has been offered upon the altar. And I believe we see that in this passage of Scripture. The New Testament goes on and it further describes Cain and Abel. The Bible says in Jude verse 11, it says that Cain was one who wanted to establish his own righteousness. The Bible says about Abel in Hebrews 11, 5, it says in that verse of Scripture that Abel by faith came before God and offered an offering. So what happens is Abel brings an offering that God had specified, an offering of taking the life of an animal and bringing that animal before the Lord. 
And Cain comes with an offering God had already rejected that was self-promoting, self-ego. Fruits from your garden that you have grown, that you have produced and you try to bring that to God and God says I'll have no part of it now the reason that we seem to know that is when you carry all that through scripture you find that it all pointed to Christ Jesus because when Jesus came he was the sacrifice God provided and he was mirrored in the Old Testament by all of those animals that were sacrificed that pointed to the coming of Christ. No one has ever been saved. No one has ever come and entered into the presence of God through their own goodness, their own works, their own provision. It's only through God. So in sort of bringing this story to a conclusion, here's what happened. Cain begins to fester in his anger, his resentment, his bitterness toward Abel. God accepted your sacrifice, but God rejected mine. And so that root of anger and bitterness and resentment begins to grow and just eats Cain alive. We don't know how long it was that it lasted. But we know what the end result was. One day out in the field, Cain found an opportunity and he killed his brother. The first murder in the scripture. We don't know how he killed him. We don't know what he did to kill him. But we know that he killed him. And right there he's dead. When we read 1 John 3 a few moments ago, it, it asked us this question. Why did Cain murder his brother? Do you remember us reading that verse of Scripture? And it goes on to answer it and he said, Cain murdered his brother because his works were evil and Abel's works were righteous. Now that goes right back to this offering they brought to God. It's saying in John that Cain brought an offering to God that was evil. An offering of his own making, an offering of his own hands. An offering that represented a heart that was not surrendered to God. A heart that was not yielded to God. An offering he brought to God that did not acknowledge his sin and need for God in his life. The fruit and the vegetables that he brought. That's what John says. He brought an offering of his own evil deeds. But Abel brought an offering of faith, an offering of an animal sacrifice, saying to God, God, I realize that it's only you who can cover my sin and cover my wickedness. But Abel murdered his brother and he took his life. One quick verse, or a couple of verses, and we're going to close here in a moment. I want to go to the book of James here just for a moment. I want to show you a verse of Scripture that, to me, really helps answer a lot of questions about life's struggles and problems. Then we're going to go to the book of Titus and we'll be finished. 
But in James chapter 3, I want you to notice verse number 16. It's almost like you could say, you could insert the word Cain right there at verse 16. James 3.16, are you ready? See, those of you that's got your phones, how much faster you are than the rest of us turning all these pages. Notice verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Do you know what that's saying in that verse of Scripture? Cain was capable of any kind of sin. That's how he murdered his brother. He was capable of anything. Because you see, envy and self-seeking were what was boiling in Cain's life, in his thoughts, in his hatred toward his brother. He literally hated Abel. How dare you, Abel, bring an offering and offer it to God and him accept it. Cain hated God, but he couldn't get his hands around God. And so since he couldn't get his hands around God, the next best thing is, I'm going to get my hands around that one that God loves, Abel. And I'll squeeze the very breath out of him and put him to death. And the scripture is just telling us that we better guard our heart from sin. We better guard our heart from envy, self-seeking, jealousy, anger, and all of those things that go with it, bitterness, because as all of that stuff begins to boil up in our life, we never know how it might ultimately express itself as it did in Cain, taking the life of another man. The last verse I want to show you, the one that really is the conclusion to my testimony that I shared with you a moment ago is over in the book of Titus. If you'll turn there, and I want to show you these verses. We're going we're to finish up. Titus was a book that Paul wrote to a young preacher. And there was a time in my life when I was a young preacher. I'm not there anymore. <laughs> but there was one time. In fact, the matter is, God called me to preach right after I surrendered my life to Him at 17 and a half, like I was telling you a few moments ago. And by the time I was 18, 19 years old, I was pastoring my first church. God was good to me. God has blessed me. I wasn't qualified to do it, but God wanted me to do it. But I didn't feel able. But I want you to notice something here in Titus chapter 3. I want us to just look at the first few verses here and then we're going to close, okay? Now, he says this is Paul writing to Titus, a young preacher, and he says to do this. He says, remind the church about this. Remind the people you speak to about this. Remind other Christians about this. So that's exactly what I'm doing this morning. I'm reminding us about this, okay? Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey, to be ready for every good work. The first change that God brought in my life when I surrendered my life to Jesus at 17 and a half, instantly, 
instantly, I had a deep desire to obey my mom and dad. Before then, I wanted to disobey everything they told me to do. I wanted to run out and do anything and everything I wanted to do. I was a rebellious kid. But the moment I got my life right with Jesus and surrendered my life to Him, the very first thing that I noticed a change in my life that I wanted to do was obey my mom and dad. And that's exactly what Paul said here. And then number two, he says, speak evil of no one. Be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Did you know, friend, when you get your life right with God, this is what's going to happen in your life? You're going to be speaking evil of no other person. You're going to try to live at peace with others. Not murder them as Cain did Abel. But you're going to want to live peacefully with others. Be gentle toward others. Showing all humility in your life to all men. Now notice verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish. Anybody want to join me in that? I was the most foolish kid I knew. And I proved that to you in my testimony earlier. I was a foolish pre-teenager. I was a foolish teenager. I'm telling you, friend, there's no excuse for foolishness. The Bible talks about a fool in the book of Proverbs, and I was first-class fool number one. I can just guarantee you I was, and I can tell you a lot of people that went to school with me that can say, yeah, he was. We can't ever believe God called that guy to preach. The Bible says we ourselves were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived by the devil. We were serving various lust and pleasures. Anybody with me so far? You all already overcome all that lust and all those pleasures and all those things. Say, Paul said, you remind them, remind them Titus, that we were all were like that. Living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. My friend, how did we make it this far? without becoming a Cain only by the grace of God I mean it's clear in scripture but then you come to number four the word but if there's a beautiful word in scripture it's the word but it's the word but yeah we're all that but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness like Cain, not by works of righteousness like you've tried to offer, you have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. My friend, right there's what happened in my life. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, this word, but, kicked in. Yes, I was guilty of every bit of that. Yes, I'll individually stand before God. Yes, no, it was not my, my parents' fault. No, it was not my brother's fault. No, it was not my sister's fault. No, it was not my friend's fault. No, you know whose fault it was? It was my fault. It was my fault. I did it. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that made the decision to do all of those things. 
And the Bible says God knew that ahead of time. And God gave Ted and Polly Wood a little boy, knowing all of that stuff was going to happen. But he also knew that someday I'll turn his life around, and someday he's going to stand before me individually, before God. But I'm going to have grace and mercy to shower upon him. Because he turned his life over to me. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, that means Jesus, not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. I'm telling you, friend, I can promise you today, if I had not given my life to Jesus when I was 17 and a half years of age, by 25 I would have been in heaven or hell, one of the two. I'd have never been in heaven. I'd never been living. I'm convinced, given my makeup and the way I think and the way I live my life, I'd have never made it past 25 years old. But the Bible says, but it was according to God's mercy and His grace, He saved me through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That word washing of regeneration, let me tell you what that means. That means that God put my heart in a spiritual washing machine with an agitator on it when I turned my life over to Him. And He got me into the Word of God. I began to read the Word of God. I read the Word of God every day. I'd take my Bible to school with me when I got right with God in high school. I would read the Bible. I would read the Bible in the morning. I'd read it at night. I'd read it all the time. And those of you that are overcoming some very big problems in your life, you understand this and you know it because you've been taught it. It is the constant reading of the Word of God that changes your life that washes and cleanses you on the inside. And I'm telling you, that's God's way of putting your heart and your life into a spiritual washing machine. And He takes the Word of God and He starts doing this to your life. And man, He scrubs out everything He can get out of it. And He gets your life changed. He gets it turned around. And you continue to grow. My friend, don't ever stop reading the Word of God. I'm 68 years old and the Word of God is, ex is as exciting to me and thrilling to me today as it was when I was 17 and a half years old. Glory, to be, glory be to God. I never get tired of reading the Word of God because it is this washing of regeneration. Listen to me, friend. Your life will not change for the good and for the glory of God apart from you reading and digesting the Word of God. Your 2020 will be like, what was last year? <laughs> I don't even remember what day it is. But I can just promise you the years to come, friend, it's going to only happen when you get in the Word of God. Washing of regeneration of the Word of God and renewing of the Holy Spirit of God. I realized that the Holy Spirit of God began to do a work in my life as I turned my life over to Jesus and as I got into the Word of God. Well, I just share with you, friend, Old Testament struggles that families go through. We're going to be on this series 
We'll see if it's Sunday morning or Sunday night. Now tonight, we'll do that outline of 1 John, okay? Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we need you. And Am I on now? Yeah, there you go. Helps when you don't turn the button off yourself. I feel like the Apostle Paul, when he said, lest when I preach to others, I myself would be disqualified and be a castaway. And Father, I pray that you will take the words that we've shared this morning Take the vulnerability that I've revealed this morning. Take the honesty that we see in Scripture this morning and the facts of the struggles of life that people go through. And I pray, God, that you'll take that and do a life-changing work in the lives of people that they will realize it's never going to happen with a New Year's resolution. It's never going to happen by turning over a new leaf and trying to do better. God, the only way a person's life is ever going to change is they've got to be cleaned up on the inside by the regeneration and the renewing of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, getting them born again and changing their life. And Lord, if that can get across to one or two people today, I'll thank you for it. I pray second of all, Lord, that we as parents and we as grandparents will just be released from that guilt today that sometimes the devil tries to put on us that it's our fault these things happen to our kids and grandkids. It's our fault. And God, we just pray that you'll deliver us from it because we see an even in Adam and Eve was an Eve's fault. The decisions that Cain made, neither was it her goodwill for the decisions that Abel made. That we all make a decision ourselves, and we have to live with the choices and the consequences. Now, God, lead us in this moment of invitation. If there are those that would be saved, if there are those that would come to the altar and pray, we pray, God, that you'll have your precious way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.